The tax gap. What a concept. But instead of raising taxes, wouldn't it just be easier to catch the people who aren't paying what they owe? Increasing enforcement of existing laws instead of increasing taxes is an appealing way to raise revenue. What would stronger enforcement have cost for law-abiding taxpayers too? For those of us who aren't on the Forbes 100 list or sit on the boards of Fortune 500s? Increasing tax enforcement may help raise revenue, but what uncertainties are out there about how this could impact taxpayers at large? And not to mention, how much revenue exactly could actually raise through this? Today, I chat with Tax Foundation Policy Analyst Alex Morishano about this. Alex, it's your first time on the pod. Thanks for coming on. Good to be here, Jesse. How does it feel? It's pretty exciting. I've always wanted to be a... It's every, it's every you know, Zoomer's dream to be a podcast guest, so it's pretty exciting. Is this your first podcast ever, or just your first Tax Foundation? This is not my first podcast rodeo, but this is my first uh, Tax Foundation podcast rodeo. Gotcha. Well, welcome to the deduction. We're glad you're here. So, so recently, you had this um, pretty comprehensive study out um, looking at the tax gap and kind of tax compliance. But before even getting into what you found, what's the tax gap? What, what is it? So the tax gap is, is basically the difference between the taxes legally owed to the IRS and uh, taxes collected. There are two figures you might hear. Um, there's the gross tax gap, which is the uh, total amount of taxes uh, owed but not collected. And there's the net tax gap, which is that number, but subtracted uh, is the amount of taxes that were previously owed and not paid that are, have now been collected. So uh, in other words, previous uh, 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 tax non-payment that is now being paid. Um, and that's the net tax gap. So some of this is due to underreporting. reporting uh, Some of this is due to non-filing. And some of this is due to uh, just direct uh, underpayment on properly reported income. So that is just the tax gap. Okay, so that, that's that's what a tax gap is. What is our situation in the United States? What's the U.S. tax gap looking like these days? So most of the research about the tax gap and basically estimating what it is uh, relies heavily on largely outdated information uh, from tax years 2011 to 2013. And then um, we thought the net tax gap was around $381 billion. There have been more recent studies that have suggested based on income growth and inflation uh, since 2011, 2013, uh, our tax gap now, or at least in 2020, I believe, which is what this most recent study was, was focused on, suggested that the tax gap right now was much closer to roughly $630 billion. And there are some arguments that $630 billion is still a little bit of an underestimate because of uh, the propagation of, of cryptocurrency, that cryptocurrency is very difficult to enforce uh, or, or, or difficult to uh, keep track of, uh, as well as some offshore uh, income that, that might not be captured by previous estimates of the tax gap. I think another thing to keep in mind with the current tax gap is uh, what what types of taxes does the IRS collect very effectively or have an easy time collecting and, and where is uh, non-payment or evasion much more common. I guess a, a clarifying point would be that not all tax non-payment is tax evasion per se. Um, evasion typically requires some kind of criminal intent. The tax gap is not all tax evasion, although it is a substantial portion of it. Some taxes like the payroll tax have extremely uh, high compliance rates and as such have a very low tax gap. On the other hand, the uh, collection of, of certain types of individual income 
such as uh, pass, pass-through business income, which S-corp corporations, LLCs, these sorts of businesses that are taxed through the individual. Like your Main Street mom and pop shops, right? Although that's not the only type of uh, S-corp or non-corporate business, but additionally, as the other examples were like rent- r- rental income or farm income, because typically those sorts of taxes are not subject to as many withholding requirements, which is, you know, salary, the your employer typically uh, withholds a certain amount of money to approximate the amount of taxes you'll have to pay at the end of the year. So the tax gap is mostly in those uh, types of uh, income that is not currently subject to uh, reporting requirements or or withholding. So that should give a sort of rough picture of what the tax gap looks like uh, today. Okay, so so there's some money out there that the government's currently missing. It sounds like could be up to six hundred billion or so. Might be bigger. Might be less than that. The data, as you kind of mentioned, isn't all necessarily there for us to kind of figure that out. But based on what we do have, give us give a comparative analysis. Are we do we have a worse tax gap than other places? Is it better than other countries? We're like pretty average for collections. Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, the U.S. does not look. You know, it might seem like oh, six hundred billion or so in uncollected revenue. I mean, that seems like a very you know large number, and it is certainly in absolute terms. I would like six hundred billion dollars. Yeah, it would, it would. It would be nice. Um, I don't think anybody would would say no to that, but. In the context of at least the developed world, the U.S. is actually below average uh, for uh, its tax gap. And I guess below average, I guess it's sort of like, what I don't know, golf, where being below average is is good in this uh, framing that um, the U.S.'s uh, tax gap as a share of, of GDP is actually uh, much lower than a lot of sort of comparably uh, advanced economies. One study uh, found that Italy has is one of the highest tax gaps as a share of their economy, and the U.S. Is, has a below average um, share. So that doesn't mean that this is not an issue that, that U.S. policymakers should take seriously. It's a, a useful piece of, of context that the U.S. does not have some like notably unique problem here. Okay, okay. But to to the extent that the problem is out there, what's the reaction from lawmakers? Is this something they're just now picking up on, or is it kind of something DC has been trying to go after for years to no success? I think it's an appealing approach to raise revenue because there's the old saying from I can't remember. I think it's mid twentieth century. U.S. Senator Russell Long, I believe, has said the quote about the story of tax reform is, don't tax you, don't tax me, tax that fellow behind the tree. And I think saying that you would, instead of raising taxes, that you would like to just go after people who are currently not paying their fair share based on current law is like a very appealing political uh, case and uh, might also have some some economic merit to it. But I think that makes it a good a source of revenue from a political perspective, for sure. There are several proposals uh, that have sort of bounced around. Um, the Biden administration has put together a, a proposal to strengthen the IRS budget with three main sort of approaches to strengthening the IRS's ability to go after uh, tax non-payment. The first is uh, more enforcement. This would be um, money for hiring more agents, um, sort of wrapped up in that is basically paying more for agents, so like higher salaries for, to get top people, basically, as well as uh, information reporting. At least the Biden administration proposal would require tracking uh, all financial transactions, uh, 
with banks uh, above a certain de minimis threshold. And then the third plank is improving the IRS's technological infrastructure. Uh, think, you know, better, uh, better IT, better programs, uh, better data analytics. So those are the three kind of categories of approaches to strengthening the IRS's ability to catch people who aren't, aren't paying their legally owed share of taxes. And the sort of revenue that would be generated by each of these proposals or different variations of them, uh, there's a wide range of estimates for how effective or comparatively speaking ineffective each of these proposals would be. Gotcha. And, and conceptually, it makes sense, you know, hey, there's money out there that we should have collected. We didn't collect it. This is an ongoing problem. Let's just go collect it. You know, it, make, it makes sense. I, you know, the IRS being the people who collect taxes, it feels like Domino should fall this way to kind of just, you know, to do that would lead to get the money here. But in, in your research, does that seem to be what would happen? Or is the impact beyond that, you know, stronger enforcement? Is it going to just be isolated towards, you know, the bad guys out there? Or is it going to hurt, you know, your average middle-class taxpayer as they log in the TurboTax to try to file their returns every year? Basically, what, what I would say that the headline takeaway here is, should be that, yes, you would be able to get some revenue out of increasing tax enforcement of various kinds, or any three of those options would probably get you some revenue. But, but the real question is, what is the cost-benefit analysis here? Typically, people think of, uh, when, when people have talked about these issues, it's usually focused on just the, just the federal budget, just the federal impact on the federal budget, where, well, we give the IRS you know, $2 billion a year in, I don't know, just for, you know, more audits and more staff. Uh, and, you know, we'll get, you know, 10, we'll get $10 billion back in, 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 you know, tax evaders that we'll catch. If you just think about it like that, it's just uh, federal budget, federal budget and federal revenue, then it looks like, a, you know, a slam dunk. Um, the problem, though, is that that's not the only uh, cost that taxpayers will also experience some additional compliance cost if the IRS is going to uh, get tougher and try harder to catch uh, people who aren't paying their proper share. You can think about it in, I think this is like a, one of those sort of intro to statistics things about like type one and type two errors, where you think that on the one hand, there's like option A and option B is audited, not audited. And the other axis is paying their fair share of taxes currently and not paying their fair share of taxes currently. So if you increase audit rates, you're going to audit more people who are not currently paying their fair share. So you'll be able to catch, you know, some people who are not paying and that's good. But on the other hand, if you increase the audit rate, you'll also probably end up auditing a good number of people who are already paying their fair share and who just end up having to deal with the uh, costs of an audit, which are very inconvenient. And and expensive, uh, if monetarily and sort of resource-wise. The compliance costs for the average taxpayer to avoid, you know, getting audited, even if they're not doing anything wrong at, at, at the current point, those compliance costs should be part of the equation, too, for doing a, a cost-benefit analysis here. I would say that another factor sort of juxtaposed with enforcement, so maybe enforcement is still worth it after all, that 
that, you know, the amount of revenue that you're going to get from catching people who aren't paying their fair share, and maybe there's some additional sort of non-monetary, like we want to make sure that our tax system is like fair and that is and being applied evenly and, and people aren't skirting the rules as like a value in and of itself, rather than just a question of revenue, you know, maybe that's also a factor. So maybe enforcement still is is worth it on those metrics, even after factoring in that it does have additional compliance costs for, for law-abiding taxpayers. But when you compare that to, let's say, better um, information technology. So there, um, one of the, there's a program, I think it's called like the um, Return Review Program, which is, you know, a computer program that helps basically iron out inconsistencies in um, tax returns um, to figure out what like should and shouldn't be audited. Development of this program increased revenue by making the IRS better at picking out which returns to audit. So if you invest in a program like that, you are going to catch more people who, if we're thinking about that sort of little axis chart uh, that I talked about earlier, then you're going to catch more people who are not paying their fair share. Uh, so you, you reduce that sort of type of error and increase revenue that way. But by being better at, at figuring out what returns to audit, you're also going to have fewer sort of false positives where you thought they were not following the rules, but it turns out they actually are. You're going to have fewer of those mistakes, and that will reduce compliance costs for taxpayers. With that sort of framing in mind, I would say that it makes more sense to start with better information technology because that is a little bit more of, I don't, it's not a free lunch, of course, nothing is but is much closer to a, a free lunch than enforcement, which is not to say enforcement is not worth considering, but I would say that it's secondary to better IT services and technology. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we get an upgraded phone pretty much every six months now. You know, you'd think the IRS would upgrade some things along the way too, um, but governments are kind of a dinosaur in that regard sometimes. Um, so pretty much what I'm getting at here is that the IRS does need some help just being a better collector, per se. Not a stricter, harder one, just need a little help being a better collector. And taxpayers, too, even ones with no criminal intent, could use a little help with just making sure they're complying with the tax code every year. If that kind of sums up what you're getting at here. That is the other question here. Well, you can improve the IRS as an enforcer collector, either through making it like a more efficient agency, as well as just making it like a more like powerful with a broader scope. Those are two options to reduce the tax gap with the IRS as your main tool. But the other question here is the structure of the tax code itself. If the tax code was just structured differently, that non-compliance would be a smaller problem for various reasons where, you know, typically if in places where there are, you know, perhaps really, really high marginal tax rates that taxpayers are more likely to spend a lot of time finding ways to hide income because the cost of the payoff to hiding income is, is much higher than if, if rates are lower. Um, there's a lot of evidence for that over time. And the reverse of having lower rates leads people to enter back into the legal uh, market. Additionally, you know, high rates of, of complexity uh, lead to just sort of errors that are not intentional, but do contribute a portion to a portion of the tax gap. Um, this sort of like the information technology point, 
is an area where reducing compliance costs for taxpayers and reducing the tax gap can kind of work together, where making the tax code simpler uh, means that there are going to be fewer errors that the IRS has to track down and will inevitably miss some, and also reduces costs for taxpayers that they have to spend less time trying to figure out the arcane eligibility requirements for, uh, I don't know, the earned income tax credit or, or something. So one of the examples that I use in the, in the paper, which is, is basically just, there's a lot of things in the U.S. tax code that we would think of very much as uh, spending through the tax code, or that the U.S. administrates a lot of its welfare state or social programs or social spending through the tax code as tax credits. This ends up creating a lot of, of complexity, and it turns the IRS uh, from a revenue agency to a, a welfare administration agency, which is not a task it's particularly suited to. You've seen that with various administrative hiccups uh, in the past year or so with uh, pandemic relief payments, whether the child, uh, child tax credit expansions uh, uh, this year or the stimulus payments last year. They were both administered as, as tax credits. And so there's, I believe, the Family Security Act uh, from Senator Romney would uh, take the child tax credit and turn it into a uh, Social Security Administration program um, and, and repeal the current one and, and turn it into a, a more explicitly defined social safety net program, which would make the process of tax filing uh, much more, more coherent if you don't have all of these uh, non-necessarily revenue related provisions um, mixed up in there. Yeah. Now, anyone could argue about, uh, you could argue a lot of things about TCJA. Um, I know one argument in the drafting of the law was this is going to simplify the tax code, up for debate if that happened or not. But more people are taking the standard deduction now than itemizing. Have we seen a recent um, uptick in people just being able to fully comply come tax filing season, or is the data just not out there yet to make a determination on that? Yeah, so it would be good to have um, more updated information. I think that would be, I think, useful no matter what side you are on the debate about IRS enforcement. To have, we, like, we like data here. Yeah, yeah, information. Datum, datum. Yeah. Datas. Datas. I like I like datas, even though it's it's not like, but I think data is datas. <laughs> get on with it. Is good. Um Dan, please leave please leave the get on with it in. Uh <laughs> where were we? Yes. So it would be good to have more updated information about the tax gap more recently, uh non-compliance rates. But uh what we do see with tax cuts and job tactics is you did see some reduction in compliance costs for taxpayers. Um, the standard deduction was raised and certain itemized deductions were curbed, which means that more taxpayers took the standard deduction, which means you don't have to keep track of all of this information uh, and report it on your, on your taxes if you're just taking the regular standard deduction. So that half certainly has paid off. Of, of the TCJA, but um, we don't really know if, if, if that has also had that kind of effect on uh, tax on payment or the tax gap. Uh, of course, that's also a problem of monocausal. Those particular changes to the TCJA were not the only things to happen in that time period that might have affected the tax gap one way or another. So we'd also have to do a little bit more analysis there to figure out if that was really why a change happened. Yeah. 
and a lot of that stuff's expiring in just a couple of years. So yep. on that note, as you know, those expirations are on the horizon. Are there any ideas you have or that are out there that we could implement to improve tax compliance to kind of just make, you know, the code easier to apply with overall? Yeah. So I think uh, sort of uh, finishing the job that TCJ started with regards to the standard deduction versus itemized deductions would make sense. Uh, I think also, you know, moving the programs like the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit and out of the tax code into just sort of explicitly categorizing them as spending and not using the tax code to implement them would be good. I think also another factor in the TCA that I haven't brought up is that corporations, so not pass-through businesses, um, C-corps, the tax gap on the corporate income tax is actually much smaller than the tax gap on the individual income tax, uh, particularly compared to the tax gap for pass-through businesses. So lowering the corporate tax rate could, in sort of in the long term, mean that more businesses um, incorporate as uh, C-corps. And so keeping the lower corporate tax rate, but maybe making some changes to the uh, pass-through deduction uh, could make more businesses be, uh, incorporate in an entity structure that the IRS finds easier to administer the tax code to. So those are the, some, some core like policy uh, structural changes uh, that could, could help reduce the tax gap. But also, I do think that the information technology and improving the IRS's I believe the, main, the the like master file, I believe is, is what it's called, is still based on something that was made in the Kennedy administration. I'm not making that up. It's like actually a relic of the 60s. It, it is like older than the Beatles, I guess, or I don't know what my singer, yeah. It could be like older than the Beatles or something. Um, so upgrading that sort of thing, I think is the like best bang for your buck in terms of uh, improving like tax administration. Uh, both from a revenue perspective and a taxpayer compliance cost perspective. So I'd throw that in as well. All, all credible ideas. Older than the Beatles. I'm going to get that on a shirt one day when I am older than the Beatles. Well, thanks for all that, Alex. That was a really fascinating discussion on the deduction today about the tax gap. Uh, what else are you working on? What can people expect to see from you in the future? Well, I'm... Uh working on some stuff related to energy policy, uh, energy and the tax code, uh, as well as, well, that's sort of hooked in with infrastructure as uh, it's still always infrastructure week. So sure is, sure is. And for those who want to follow your work, uh, how can they find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at a hard to spell. Uh, and you can find me, uh, of course, as well on the tax foundation website, taxfoundation.org. And you can follow me as well on Twitter at Solis Jesse. Um, and as Alex mentioned, to find out more about the tax gap and the rest of our work on federal tax policy and more, go to taxfoundation.org. Thank you all for listening again this week. We'd love to know what you think about the podcast. So please shoot us a note at taxfoundation.org slash podcast. We'll have more deep dives into the world tax policy com coming soon. So make sure you subscribe and we'll see you next time on The Deduction.